in a pop art sense, when a native sees my work, I want, they want to self-identify first. That's one of us. And it makes them happy. And it's like, wow, someone just painted one of us. And it's out there and I can see it. Bonjour, hello. Welcome to Native Lights, where Indigenous voices shine. I'm your host, Leah Lem. And I'm your other host, Cole Primo. Me great for joining us. Native Lights is more than just a podcast and radio show. At its core, it's a place for Native folks to tell their stories. Uh, each and every week, we dive into captivating conversations with great guests from a whole lot of different backgrounds. They have a wonderful mixture of passions. We talk to them about their gifts and how they share them with the community. Uh, and it centers around finding purpose in our lives. And we'll continue our mission of amplifying Native voices today. So how are you doing, sis? I'm doing well. Thank you, Cole. How are you? You know, great, great. Um, we had a chance to meet up over the weekend. And I wanted to you know, quickly you know, mention that uh, we lost our grandma over the summer. And it was, it was, we did a little remembrance thing over the weekend. So it was really nice to to uh, see all the family and, you know, just remember our good old Grandma B. Um, obviously, she was very dear to her hearts on our mom's side and uh, very musical. I remember accordion playing and guitar playing back in the day, and it was, it was a good time to, you know, to hear from people who knew her back in the day. Mm-hmm. So, Yeah, it was really nice. I know I remember asking what you... What what favorite memory you might have? Of yeah, grandma. we kind of had the similar one. Where <laughs> we'd uh, we'd <laughs> we'd put something like I, I remember we I'd be like in the behind the passenger seat and she'd be you know in the passenger seat and I'd put a little feather or something in her ear and she what's going on? Or <laughs> <laughs> <Her> tickler, <laughs> <laughs> little pranks yep. like that and just you know every now and then we. would we jam out. We'd play some guitar. She'd play accordion. So good times. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she was such a big supporter with us and our music and families and everything. So yeah, um, she definitely leaves a great legacy. Well, today I'm really excited for our conversation. Um, I've been kind of hoping to talk to this artist for a while now. Sean Choza, have you heard of him? I I did once you, uh, you <laughs> once you uh, confirmed the uh, inter, uh, the interview. Yes, and I I'm, I'm, I've looked over all of his art and it looks great. So yes. can't wait to talk to him. Well, I'm really excited to talk to our guest today. Sean Choza lives and paints in Ely, Minnesota, and if you haven't seen Sean Choza's work, it is colorful, bright vibrant and a lot of times he does these large paintings so it's it's really cool to see he loves music art movies and animals of all types including his two cats Khalil and Freya and he spent his time in many ways as a firefighter first responder DJ an infantry marine a reverend minister wolf handler and a concert promoter oh wah but he spends his time creating graphics for a t-shirt company and doing fine art on the side. So welcome, Sean Choza, to the program. My name is Sean Choza. I'm a visual artist. Uh, I 
for most intense purposes, you could just say painter. Um, although I do pen and inks and I am a graphic designer by trade, I would say painting is my, my focus as far as fine art goes. I live in a small town way up north in St. Louis County called uh, Ely, Minnesota. I'm in Ely. Um, I have historical ties to this place. I grew up here as a young man before I left, went out to um, pursue my life in the trails and places that that led me. And when I got out of the Marines, a bit farther down in my life, I uh, came back here and went to college for a couple of years here at a community college. Didn't waste my time, but it wasn't for me. And I started my own graphic design business. And in May 5th of 2000, I don't know, it had something to do with um, remember all the 2000 year hysteria. That's the year I had my first show. Y2K. <laughs> yeah. I had a pen and ink show. People know me from doing concert posters around Ely. Uh, in Duluth, I'm known for doing concert posters, and I've done uh, a fair amount of work for Charlie Parr. You guys know who that guy is. So I was really into music promoting, and the way I got into that was by doing the posters. And then eventually, later on, I actually became a promoter. So I always have something going on. <laughs> and painting, I think I kind of got really serious about it in 2010. I got my first grant from the state, and I've had numerous grants since then. And I've usually had shows in Ely, around Ely. I've had a couple in Duluth, uh, one at Beaners, one at Pizza Luce, which got censored. Oh. It a big fiasco. Really? Well, I had a, a, a political, nothing like what you've seen now, but more, more pop art. And my first painted shows were very political. This is... You know, this is entailing my whole life up through 9-11 and me looking back on my life, what I grew up in. I was born in 66. Looking back historically and then just seeing this huge turnaround, this, it's almost like a repeat of history. It's like we struggle and strive real hardcore in the mid-60s and then turn around again and it turned around again. And the same thing started happening in these cultural upheavals and in the native land that's uh they're marked pretty heavily i mean we know when this happened we know when that happened so yeah i had i had some show <laughs> and but i did it through the metaphor of cartoons like itchy and scratchy and simpsons characters and countercultural cartoons and you know i mixed that all together with slogans and uh, i was really into a rage against the machine band and i already knew all that stuff i'd been educated my whole life on all those things and uh, so my first paintings were kind of angry with a, with a laugh to it, you know. <laughs> well, they took exception to one of my paintings and took it down and said it was too violent. And um, I would have agreed with it. it was the smallest piece in the show. And then they started looking at other paintings. And they just started taking down one painting after the other. And, and I got mad. And so I went down and pulled the whole show. It had only been up for a day and a half or two days. I went to uh, the reader. They published all the pieces in full color in a centerfold with a big story on it. So I got the last laugh. Everybody got to see all the pieces in full color in the publication. And now with the last two or three shows, all been native face portrait painting pieces. I'm in the fourth or fifth show in that category. Um, I tend to do themed shows. Like I did one show was all stencil spray paint cuts of different musicians. And that was the, all the pieces in the show were like that. I uh, did another show, it was called Wonderland, and it was all pen and inks based off of characters in these movies and books. And uh, But the Native American thing, at some point, my personal history and the culture started coming out, and the things that I knew about 
in popular culture. And I'm really into the popular culture. I come from the 70s hippie poster group of artists from San Francisco that affected so much of popular culture. I think my mom's the first Native American woman to get a Bachelor of Fine Arts out of out of NCAD. And so that's who I grew up with, my mom. And my mom's a pipe carrier. And at that point, my mom had me when she was 21. So she's running around in her party days, basically. I don't know how a better metaphor than that. Uh, college party days with little kid. That was me. No fathers in the pictures, just me and my mom. And she's what I call the seeker. I don't know if you ever heard that song by the Who called The Seeker, where it's the person that's going around, I'm going to go check this out and go get immersed into it. Well, I got drugged along with all that. I went to a temple and I learned about Rama and Vishnu and all those Indian gods. And while my mom was up there getting heavy indoctrination, I was in the basement with the kids doing art classes and learning about Indian culture. Indian with the dot, not the feather out of <laughs> a way of saying it, but learn some of that culture. And then my mom took me out of that and went into another environment. She started looking to her own culture. So now I'm with the Lakota learning about the sweat lodge. Um, I went to uh, Colorado, hung out with a bunch of youths and witnessed the bear dance. I uh, got dragged to Arizona for a couple of weeks. Got put in a school with all Indian kids. And was a complete stranger. And I do look very white. I don't look Indian at all. And uh, so I had that going as well. Every time I move and become the one white-looking kid in the class or the new kid in almost every single year from uh, up until eighth grade. Kind of came to a head in eighth grade. I went to four different schools in three different states. And I kind of got lost in a year. So I graduated a year later. But I left Ely and I went to a place called Lac de Flambeau, Wisconsin. For my four high school years and, and eighth grade. And so I was in the same place, finally, for, for once. And I have historical ties to Lac de Flambeau. My great-grandfather had a family there. A bunch of stuff happened. He left. Went to prison. Somehow came out. Went back to his wife and family in Lac de Flambeau. She moved on, not thinking he was going to get out. And... He said, I'm going to let this new family be. And he went back to Michigan, got some of his brothers, and they came to Ely. And so from my great-grandfather to my grandfather to me, we've been in Ely. But we have connections coming out of Kiwana Bay, Michigan, across northern Minnesota. And I'm actually on the road at Belcourt in Turtle Mountains. And then we have family holdings over in Fort Belknap. So all along the border, all that stuff's starting to come out of my paintings now. And sometimes intuitively and sometimes as if there's a guiding hand there. I painted a picture of this guy called Little Shell. And uh, I, like most Indians or anybody really that paints Native Americans, it usually starts with the Curtis collection and all these sepia tone photos. Or that's all that we really have from, the, from those days. And so it's almost a rite of passage where people paint from the same references. Well, it occurred to me, well, I'm painting all these Lakota people. And I painted a couple of Apache guys. And, and then my mom's, why aren't you painting Ojibwe's? They're not prevalent in the picture database as much. And they're, they're, they look different. I mean, they don't have these big headdresses. They have more like turbans with feathers sticking out of them, if you look at Hole in the Day's famous picture. And I painted him for this show. Um, but uh, I, I just, little shell was simple. It was, it was a, a nice, serene picture of this guy standing with a 
with a war hatchet in his hand and uh, some kind of big medallion on his chest. And I'm like, it's a beautiful picture. And I painted it. And I, I, I noticed, wow, this Wikipedia thing says he's from Turtle Mountains. And I asked my mom about it. Oh, then she filled me in. She knows all that stuff. And uh, so that, that that was interesting. So a lot more Ojibwe representation in my show this time. You're listening to Native Lights, where Indigenous voices shine. Native Lights is produced by Minnesota Native News and Ampers with support from the Minnesota Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund. Today we're speaking with Sean Choza, an artist and citizen of the Turtle Mountain Band of Ojibwe. His new work, Sacred Clown, can be seen at the Friedley Gallery in St. Paul starting on September 1st. Well, can you tell us about your journey as an artist and how your background has influenced your work? I have a unique immersement in my culture that's wider than most people get. Oh, okay, I grew up on the Resident of Flambeau. When my mom sent me there, it was the time in my life when I'm, now I'm a young man. I'm a young teenager. I'm about to hit puberty and go insane like every young man does. And my mom was like, I wanted to get away from my mom. There was we had issues there. And it, really what it was all about, it was time for me to be around some men and get that level of training or education or whatever you want to call it. And for me, it was going living with all my Vietnam veteran age uncles in Wisconsin. So I went there. I was crack shot just by nature with a rifle. They taught me how to set nets, but learn how to maple sugar learn how to wild rice, learn how to field dress deer and take beer, how to butcher deer, how to go smelting, all that stuff you would learn. And it's not just men, it's the women too. But I mean, as, as a young man, you go out and learn these things, usually with the men, and that's what you do. You know, you, you get your butt kicked a few times, you learn how to scrap, you know, all those experiences. And, you know, I didn't was completely unaware of my family's history or the connection back to Ely. Yeah, I went in the Marines after I graduated in 85. Uh, went to Cuba. Had fun there for a year. <laughs> you ever saw the movie A Few Good Men? That whole thing went down when I was there, and it was not like the movie. A lot. I have never seen that. <laughs> That's Jack Nicholson, Tom Cruise flick. It's, it's a worthy watch. You can't handle the truth? Is that the... Yeah. All I was right. not like Jack Nicholson. That's all fabricated. It was... Pretty nice guy, but when you're in charge and crap happens, the head guys roll. They, they, <laughs> sure. Suddenly they're not there anymore. They've been moved on when you're a colonel. You know, that, it's like the like priests in the Catholic Church. Oh, you screwed up over here. We're going to put you over there. Mm-hmm. That kind of a thing. I see. It wasn't really that bad, but we were getting shot at by the Cubans. That wasn't in the movie. The whole movie was about a guy getting beat up by his own brother Marines. And that really happened, but it was more like 10 guys, not just two. And uh, so that happened while I was there. I was, I don't know, it's, it's an anecdote, I guess, in my past. But went from there, went to another lovely place called 29 Palms, California, which is the largest Marine Corps base there is. All the other bases can fit inside the boundaries there. And it's just above a place called the Joshua Tree National Monument in the high desert of Southern California. A few years later, turned into the Gulf War. I did that. Came home, did another almost two years left on my contract after the war ended. 
I came home on another anecdotal day, which was April Fool's. Made it through that tribulation. And uh, in the early 90s, when Clinton got elected, there was a force reduction. So I got forced out of the Marines. I was going to be a careerist. And then I came back here to Ely, started my own graphic design business. And then I got hired by a t-shirt company here in town. And I've been working from them since 1998. And then my boss there is all female crew, female shop. It was me and the owner's husband. There's only two men in the shop. So for me, it was a big turnaround with being a bunch of stinky dudes in the desert, high testosterone, agro environment, to being all around all ladies. <laughs> Kind of a, a big culture shock, but one I, I appreciated. Uh, and even then, that ran its course. I, I've been working from home for the last six, seven years now. Uh, I found a place for me, and I found a niche that works for me real well so far. I'll tell you, right before COVID really popped off, the Duluth Art Institute gave me a job and a $1,000 stipend in, in the time of the year when I get unemployed in the winter. And uh, I did a show for them and I set it up and then COVID made it so that I couldn't go down to it. And then a few days later, pretty much nobody could go to it. Uh, but a group called ACO came in, bought a few pieces from that show and I inter made it, uh, friends with them. And they gave me a show, a follow-on show. So I did that follow-on show. Went to ACO last summer for the majority of the summer. When it came out, it went to Fond du Lac till the end of the school year. Went out of Fond du Lac, and then it went to the McRosty. And then all those led to the Freedly Show. And so all those shows were Native-themed shows. Indigenous was the Echo Show, and now the, the new shows called Sacred Clown. Well, Sacred Clown is such an interesting title. Can you give us a bit of an intro into the Sacred Clown work? at the Friedley Gallery? There's a couple terms I'm going to throw around here and, and loosely I'm not going to define and say where they come. Maybe you've heard the term heyoka. Um, it's kind of the same thing. Sacred clown, if you say we want to go out to um, Hopi land or with the Diné or the Southwest, they have these characters called koshare, which are the sacred clowns. And these are the characters that are all, they almost look like Native American Tim Burton characters. They're all black and white stripes. Their bodies are painted in big rings, mm. and they run around and they display bad behavior. <laughs> oh, yeah. Like they're running around picking out on a watermelon. You see little statues and conchita dolls of them eating a watermelon and then gorging themselves and, and being slovenly, and that's like a bad behavior. And so the part of that clown's job is to exhibit bad behavior. And as I understand, the, the tribe sees this, and all the young people see this, and that's the bad behavior and they're exhibiting it for you don't do that and then also clowns always are contrarians it's hard to define as one thing you know all a lot of native cultures butt up against each other they rub off on one another they have similarities and they have very big differences you know and it could be a color it could be you know that what a shari is down there we might call it a clown a sacred clown is called here or in the lakotas call them heyokas um Charlie Hill is a Native American um, past. It was uh, probably the, the first big Native American comedian. He got brought on by Richard Pryor in the 70s, on these shows in the 70s. I painted him. If you don't know who Charlie Hill is, just Google it or YouTube it. It's a great 
uh, native comedian. And uh, I've heard of him being referred to as a Hayoka. Oh. But I mean, for me, it was, okay, so I boil things down to simplicities. And so what are the colors to me, in my mind, of a Kashari or a sacred counter, black and white? Well, I use the Kiss makeup on the guy. It's black and white, his face paint. Obviously, it's Kiss if people know the face paint. And then it's just on another Indian's head, basically. I'm just making fun. I'm kind of poking at something, and I don't know what it is I'm poking at. You're listening to Native Lights, where Indigenous voices shine. Native Lights is produced by Minnesota Native News and Ampers, with support from the Minnesota Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund. Today we're speaking with Sean Chosa, a painter among many things. He's a citizen of the Turtle Mountain Band of Ojibwe. His new work, Sacred Clown, can be seen at the Freedley Gallery in St. Paul starting September 1st. I always used to collect comics when I was a young man. And I liked the X-Men. And there was one Native American character called the Thunderbird. And he lasted like three issues. Started arguing with the main white guy in the team. And suddenly he dies. And he's gone. And it's like, wow, that guy was so cool, but I didn't get to know him. And now I have no representation. So when it happens today, it's a big, big deal. And I see that shift in our society. There's so much Native American characters in television and media right now. Now, if I'm a Caucasian kid, and I am a Caucasian kid too, I'm both things. I'm more than just one thing. Um, if I were to go the other way, oh, Batman, Superman, Aquaman, all white. Tarzan in the jungle, but there's no black guy cartoons. What's going on here? What is up with this, you know? Um, little native dolls with bright blue eyes, and they're just... The white doll was painted brown, but they forgot to paint the eyes brown. And then you take something like that and you bounce it against the Navajo code talkers. Save the whole day. They can't grasp or respect our language. We have a hard time ourselves grasping and respecting our own language. And I've seen it really change in the last 30 years. There is so much language stuff out there now that you never saw before. And I think that's it's more readily available now with all the technology. And that's a good thing. We need to have that integration. I have a piece in my show called Integration. It looks like an Indian in his face. looks like he's being turned into digital pixels. It's one of the biggest pieces in my show. It's called Integration. That's kind of what that piece is about. Well, I would like to talk a bit about, like, technique. I know on Indian Summer and several other pieces, there's this look of, like, drips coming down. yeah. I've been told I overused that. Really? I I did it once a couple times, and this guy said, it's a cool trick, or like a, it's like a, I don't want to call it a trick. A trick in the terms of being a musician, it's one of the things that I do as an element in my design. And I didn't invent it. Someone else did that, you know. But I like to do lots of glazing. And since I use acrylics, I really water down my paints. And sometimes I'll rag roll, I'll take a, a paper towel and I'll wrinkle it up and I'll, I'll coat my canvas with a real light application of a color that's been thinned out and let it sit for a little bit so it starts to get tacky but it's still wet. And then I'll rag roll it or I'll come along from the top and start dripping water to make those streaks. And a lot of times it gets covered up or it just becomes an effect in the background. I think... I've never been to school. I've never had any formal training. 
I had a, a basically intro, introduction to art, a studio class that everybody, it's like the only art class that everybody takes in college. You know, it's, I studied for a little bit with a friend of mine who was a painter and I learned some stuff. And I'll give, always give this credit in my life. This guy's one of my good friends. Came out of the Duluth art scene into Ely. This guy was a Colombian dude from the East Coast originally. And uh, he had my color breakthrough because my original 4K and my strongest work is my black and white pen and ink work. So if you go on my Facebook page or if you've ever looked on, on my Facebook page or just Google Sean Chos and look at the images that pop up, you will start to see lots of black and white graphic images that are just made with pen and ink. That's the stuff and the technique that I think I've mastered or have my own voice that's indelibly my own. It's not influenced really by directly by anybody else. And I'm trying to merge that into my painting skill. So when it comes to technique, I do lots of layers. Um, lots of glazing. I work from photographic references with these classic photos. I've been moving towards where I want to take my own pictures or get photographs of modern day Indians. And I've been able to do that a few times. Um, and I'm trying to work in my pen and ink style by using acrylic paint markers. So if you look through a lot of my paintings, you'll see Oh, he's painted this girl before. He's painted this girl a couple times before. But either I've cropped in closer to the face, I've backed out and got more of her body, um, or I focused on something different, or it's just a color change. But I like these things, and I kind of distill each image down into a series of um, shapes. I prefer to use brighter colors. I think that's a, a reaction to these pictures mostly being sepia tone brown pictures. And we're so much more colorful than that, you know. And in a pop art sense, when I when a native sees my work, I want they want to self identify first. That's someone. That's one of us. And I like that, and it makes them happy. And it's like, wow, someone just painted one of us, and it's out there, and I can see it. And that's a big part of popular culture. Yeah, I think I think my graphic because I'm a graphic T-shirt designer. And I work in layers and adding this element on top of that element in relation to other elements. I think that method of putting things together has, has informed my art and how I do things. So, Sean, how do you envision the future of your art? I was in a quick painting three years ago before that DAI opportunity came up. And I've gotten on it. And now it's just been a, a rise. And one show follows the next show. So suddenly I have a touring show that hit four spots. And I got hired to do a big billboard campaign and a mural. All out of that. So right now, I'm still riding this wave upward. I've conquered Duluth as much as I can conquer it for now. Now I'm in the cities. And uh, my goal is Walker and uh, MIA. I'd like to come back and do a Tweed Gallery show in Duluth at some point. But I'd like to do large paintings and most places can't accommodate that. And I'd like to do a lot of pieces. So much to think about there with Sean Choza. I know his work, again, if you haven't seen it, bright, vivid, large paintings. And he also talked about his black and white work too, which I haven't really explored so much of. So I'll be sure to do that. But making sure that we're seen as Native people from across the room. I love that idea. Yeah. And just the the self-taught aspect and how he's evolving and 
He's still uh, learning. You can check out his work coming up at the Friedley Gallery in St. Paul. And you can hear more about the gallery and the founder, Heather Friedley, on a previous episode of Native Lights, linked on our website, minnesotanativenews.org. I'm Cole Primo. And I'm Leah Lem. Miigwech for listening. Native Lights, Where Indigenous Voices Shine, is produced by Minnesota Native News and Ampers with support from the Minnesota Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund.